I'm Michelle Sims, and this is the Beauty in the Mess, a community where people who crave a shift in mindset, personal growth, and connection to like-minded people come together to start rewriting their stories. Through engaging, honest, and insightful conversations, the show will help you embrace the mess to recognize the meanings and the lessons it holds and discover its hidden treasures to help you start making a mindset shift. Let's listen, learn, and reclaim who we were meant to be. Hi, friend. Welcome to The Beauty and the Mess. This episode is about Bernadette Bose's journey. Bernadette was climbing the corporate ladder. She had the title, the income, all the things, really. And then one day she found out she was fired and the bottom fell out. That event changed her life forever, but actually for the better. It allowed her to shed her aggressive corporate persona and make a mindset shift that has now led her to becoming the CEO of two companies, a successful author of many books, among other things. You might say it was one of the best things that ever happened to her. Hi, I'm Michelle Sims, your host. I'm just a regular person who, along with my family, have had our share of messes that we too have had to overcome. Along the way, I got curious as to how others get through their messes and even triumph over them. Maybe there's a better way, a faster way. Maybe we can accelerate our journeys by learning from someone else. That started my pursuit. I think we can all learn from each other through the sharing of experiences, lessons, and knowledge. Join me for episode 19 of The Beauty and the Mess called Shedding Aggressive Behavior with Bernadette Bose. Simply known as the Ball of Fire, Bernadette is a transformational leader, executive coach, speaker, podcast, and videocast host. Bernadette is the CEO and founder of Ball of Fire Incorporated, which is comprised of her two passion businesses, Ball of Fire Coaching, a leadership growth company, and Ball of Fire Media, which is an entertainment production company. Bernadette brings her 25-year corporate savviness with her entrepreneurial spirit into transforming the lives of corporate executives, teams, and businesses around the globe into the powerhouse leaders they were meant to be. Although her focus is in the corporate realm and her businesses, her advice and guidance really transcend to anyone that is willing to listen. With what she called her pink slip to freedom, Bernadette authored a whole series of books and speaks to audiences of all sizes around the world about her rise and fall and her rise again. Bernadette is a pickleball fanatic. She loves her four-legged best friend, Coco, and calls Atlanta, Georgia her home for the last 25 years. Before we get started today, I just want to let you know that the B word is used frequently in today's episode. So if you have small children around as you listen, you might want to put in headphones or wait till they're not around. So without further ado, let's dive right into today's conversation. Hi, Bernadette. Welcome to the Beauty and the Mess. Hi, Michelle. How are you? Okay, thank you. Good. I'm so honored to have you with us today. So thank you for being here. Absolutely. I know you're the CEO of a couple of businesses, actually. If I'm incorrect, please correct me. But I know it's the Ball of Fire Coaching, which is a leadership and growth company, and then the Ball of Fire Media, which is your entertainment production and publishing company. Yes. But I want to get to the backstory a little bit. Like, how did you end up becoming the CEO of two businesses? So what was your life like before all of this? Sane. My life was sane. (laughs) (laughs) It was sane, but it was actually incomplete. So if we want to look at the backstory, I spent 25 years in corporate America, pretty much uh, from my early teens into my mid to late 40s. And... I thought that that was it. 
I thought I was this corporate executive and I was going to rise to the ranks and I was going to run a huge conglomerate. And yet in late 2007, that Monday after Thanksgiving, you know, when you kind of go into work and you're kind of heavy and you're kind of weighted down from all the holiday fare, <laughs> I was all excited. I was pumped up. I was looking forward to really going in and collaborating on the initiatives that I had to close out the year and then to finish the next year. And the next thing you know, I don't know, by 7.45, 8 o'clock in the morning, found myself standing in the middle of a parking lot with a pink slip in my hand and a single box of my 25-year career. And I thought, what the devil just happened? Talk about living in a mess. And so I spent, gosh, a good couple of years just really digging in and what I call excavating my soul to really understand what exactly just happened. Long story short, it evolved into everything I do today. So through my excavation of my soul, I discovered that I was that stereotypical corporate tyrant or that B word that was making me be very avert, very aggressive, very demeaning, everything you don't want in a leader, I was. I kind of had to really take a hard look at myself and I'm a journaler. So I've been journaling for, gosh, at that point, I've been journaling since I was eight. Through that process, it helped me to realize who I was at the moment, but who I really wanted to be and what it was going to take for me to find her again. And so I decided I was going to write about my journey. And the book is called Shedding the Corporate Bitch, Shifting from Bitch to Rich in Life and Business. And through that evolved my coaching and my consulting, everything that I do today. Through that, I recognize that there are a lot of individuals, especially corporate professionals and entrepreneurs who struggle to really own their warts along with their beauty marks. And they kind of lash out on themselves and on the world about what it is that they really truly want, but how they're going to get there. All their limiting beliefs of insecurities, doubts, negativities, and fears just kind of choke them. And so from that book, I created Ball of Fire Coaching to support coaching corporate and entrepreneurs. And at the same time, that book turned into my podcast, a video cast, turned into 75 plus book titles within that brand, Shedding the Bitch. Wow. It turned into screenplays and a number of other assets, hence Ball of Fire Media and Entertainment. Well, that's a pretty amazing story, really. <laughs> <laughs> So if we backpedal just a little bit, you were a senior executive, correct? When you lost your job. Yes. So you were probably trained or felt like you had to be aggressive and exert that power, I'm assuming. No. No? No. That would be an easy excuse and an easy out for me. Oh, well, I was forced to do it because I'm a woman in the corporate environment. And especially because I was in uh, male-dominated industries like technology and retail. Corporate retail. Right. That's what I was thinking. That you have to be like the men. Right. But actually, my transformation from a young, precocious, fun, loving, compassionate young girl actually happened in my late teens, early 20s. And I was influenced by 
I'll call them kids, my fellow friends around me at college. Here I'm one of 12 children from a very middle-class family in Philadelphia. And I happened to get up out of Philadelphia and go down to Boca Raton, Florida, which is like the Rodeo Drive of the East Coast. And my friends and the people around me had a lot of money. And they used that money to get what they wanted. But in order to do that, they also took on this attitude and this behavior that was extremely bitchy, extremely rude, extremely demeaning, extremely curt, extremely aggressive. Uh, and I kind of like was observing this and I'm like, oh, but I want all those things that they have materialistically. I want all those things. Right. And so if that's what it takes to kind of pretend I have it when I don't, and then to work toward getting it, then that's how I'll work my way into it. But it was meant to be temporary, Michelle. It was meant to be like, okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to be this person to kind of get what I want. But then I'm going to go back to Bernadette, the young, precocious, sassy Bernadette. It worked for a good amount of time where I could separate those two personalities almost. But then as I got into my 30s, and I started advancing and I started growing and I started getting what I wanted materialistically, which was power, position, and prosperity. Those were the three things that I was striving for. And as I was aggressively pursuing those things is when I started taking in this person, this side of myself. And it was all centered around my being insecure, fearful of people knowing who I really was, feeling intimidated by the people around me. Although you would never know any of these things by looking at me on the outside. You would have seen a strong, confident, actually overconfident individual. But inside, I was just like crying, crying. And so it was my intention to become that person. It wasn't something that somebody brought on to me. Okay. So when you're standing in that parking lot and you've got your and what did you say? Was it 12 years or single box of my 25 year career? 25 years. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So when you're standing there with your box of belongings and your whole world just crumbled, I'm sure you probably felt betrayed. And I mean, you gave your life to this company, mm -hmm. at least a good chunk of it. How do you shift that mindset, especially when you had that aggressive, powerful personality at the time? How do you do that? Well, First off, I should put the cherry on the top when it comes to that that experience in the parking lot by saying that I was also fired by my mentor of 12 years. Oh, wow. So I stood there and quite honestly, Michelle, this is going to sound absolutely absurd, but I stood there in that parking lot. I was angry. I was like stumped. I was totally perplexed as to what in the world just happened. Because it wasn't as if I wasn't producing or contributing or generating and so forth and so on. And so I was angry. I felt betrayed. I felt hurt. I was perplexed and confused. But there was a part of me, this, there was a small inkling part of me that was actually excited. And that stumped me even more. And I felt like I was schizophrenic. I'm like, what is happening? I'm losing my mind. Why would I be even inkling happy about losing everything? My identity, let alone the bank account and the 
corner office and the position as a whole. Right. But that little inkling kind of just started to spread as I moved forward. And I realized right then and there, your mentor of 12 years who you revere and adore and respect and have high regard for, they don't just up and let you go without a reason. And so I knew that I must be responsible. I could blame and be angry at everybody else. However, I didn't go that route. I instead went the route of, okay, what was my part in this? And I think, Michelle, to your point, I think it was because of the fact that I was ready to acknowledge that I had become someone I really didn't like. And I wasn't happy in that skin. And therefore, this was the opportunity to shed that skin and shed that person I had become and find my way back to that precocious young girl with 30 plus additional years on her. (laughs) It's amazing to me that you could see that blessing at that moment. You know, I mean, I could see looking back, but the wherewithal at that moment, when you've got all these things going on in your mind, I mean, you, you, like you said, you just lost life as you know it, you were betrayed by your mentor. You felt like, right. But to have the wherewithal to say, man, this is a blessing in disguise. Think about when people say, just tap into your intuition. Like, you know, when something's right or something's wrong, you may not listen to it, right? but you kind of know it. And I just fortunately listened to it. I didn't know the answer. I had no clue what it meant, but I just thought I like that feeling better than all this ugly feeling. Cause I felt ugly for decades. Wow. I mean, when you're in that mindset of being nasty, that's an ugly, heavy weighted way to live. And I just said to myself, this is my out. This is my way to make that transformation. Wow. Now, I didn't know how I was going to go about it. I didn't know how long it was going to take. I didn't know how painful it was going to be or how exciting it was going to be. But I just knew I had to do it. Was there a lot of fear at that moment? Or was it more excitement? Yeah, I definitely wouldn't say it was fear. I would say it was anxious excitement because the unknown is anxious. Right. But at the same time, I'm very faith-based. So I just knew that inkling was much greater in capacity than in the size of the feeling. So I just went that there's something to that little opening that I really need to rip open and find out where it takes me. That's pretty awesome. And you had to have known also that you had an amazing skill set behind you moving forth. I was very blessed with that. I never questioned at all. Other than my leadership style, I learned to question dramatically. But getting work, being skilled, being expert. It's also why, Michelle, my whole philosophy, because of my whole last 12, 14 years, has been that life is 80% mindset, 20% skill set. I knew that I didn't have to question my skill set, my resume, my accolades, the awards. I needed to work 80% of my time on the mindset. So then both of those things together could make a very powerhouse individual woman leader. Right. So how do you shift that mindset? What did you work on? I know you said the journaling, you journaled. Well, I started to journal and I started to ask myself a boatload of questions. 
I went and I actually discovered over like the first two or three years of my shedding process that there were distinct phases that I took myself through. I walked myself through and I'll share those. I call it my shift to riches formula. And the first phase was discover. That's when I just started scribbling in my journals and I started talking to people, people that I trusted, people that I cared about that would give me the hard truth. And yet at the same time, care for me because I was hurting in a lot of different ways. And so the discover phase, really, I just started saying, okay, so, you know, you don't like who you are. Do you know who you are? So who am I? Who do I want to be? Who do I not want to be? What do I want? What do I not want? You know, what do I love? What do I desire? What do I get passionate? So I just started really asking myself very, very deep, heavy questions. And at first it was very surfacey. I would just spend two seconds on it. And then I just forced myself to work into it to where then I was really spending a lot of time answering those questions for myself. And then I had to confront a lot of stuff because there was stuff I really wasn't proud of and I was ashamed of. I have no regrets, but there was a lot of ugliness in what I was confronting, as well as there was all this beauty. Like you said, I knew how skilled I was and talented I was. And if I could just figure that out, along with the mindset side of it, So I had to confront a lot of things. I had to walk away from a lot of people, places, and things that was supporting my bitchy mindset at the time. So one day I had a whole large circle of friends and six months later, I was sitting on the couch by myself with my dog because I just made decisions and I had to move on. So then you shed. So then you have to move on and let go, or you have to maintain what I call honor your riches. And then all of that causes you to want to create new, big, different, better, and accelerate all of that. And so I all of a sudden realized there was this five stages of a shift to riches formula, I call it. And that's what I coach, train, speak right on to this day. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to, well, let me just say too, you have to want to change. Right. I wanted to change. So let me just cap that off with that. (laughs) To your point, when you said, who am I answering that question for yourself? It sounds like a very easy question at first, but it's actually a very hard question. If you really sit down and try to define who you are, it's very hard. Right. Right. Well, typically people will be like, well, I'm 60 years old. I'm a woman from Philadelphia. I went down to Florida for school. I do this. I do that. I have brothers. I have sister. And it's like, no, that's not who you are. Exactly. So what's the next level? And then what's the next level under that? And then what's the next level under that to where you then find your core values and beliefs and what you're passionate about? I don't know about you, Michelle, but So many people, they want so much, but they're afraid of acknowledging it to themselves, let alone to anybody else, because they're afraid that they're going to be disappointed or it's not going to happen. That's what holds people back from really never discovering who they truly are. Yeah, I think there's a point, like if you declare it and then it doesn't happen, you feel like you'd feel like a fool, I guess. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You put it out there and then you didn't follow through. Right, right. So it's just easier to not act. It's maybe easier, but it's not as fulfilling, obviously. Oh, it's definitely not fulfilling. (laughs) Yeah, I know that we all have this one life to live and it goes really, really fast. And I just know that I no longer want to sacrifice what I am and who I truly am and what I truly want. 
because I don't want to get to the end of my life, whether that's tomorrow or 20 years from now, and not have lived the way I wanted to live as who I am. So when you made that transition, and now you're CEO of two businesses, and you've authored books, and like you said, you're on a podcast, you do all these different things, and you have power, you obviously don't utilize it in the same way, but you have power, you have the title. Does any of that ever creep back or you've totally shed it? That's a great question. I don't know that I've ever been asked that question. Well, I will say this. So my book is called Shedding the Corporate Bitch. And it's been 14 years that I've left. And I did not go back into that space until 2016 from 2008. So about eight years. Because I was afraid that it would trigger bringing out that old self. And there is no way in the world I wanted for that to happen. So then I decided for myself, I said, well, I'm in complete control over how I respond to anything. And so I can choose to respond in the voice of the woman I've become, or I could fall prey to my insecurities and doubts and negativities and intimidations and become that woman again. And again, everything that we do in our lives is a conscious choice. Right. And yet a lot of us walk through life unconsciously or subconsciously, and we don't bring it to the surface and pay attention to it. And so I just chose that no matter what the situation and how that environment could create triggers for me, how I respond to them is up to me. And I'm in complete control of that. So I have never had an issue since. Whereas before I used to be like 85, 90% entrepreneur, 10, 15% corporate work. Now it's about 90% corporate and 10% entrepreneurial work. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So if I can ask, and I know you said you were faith-based, but how much did you rely on your faith during this transition? Was it a, a lot, I'm assuming? All of it. <laughs> well, faith in my family. Right. So losing everything and everyone around me and everything I was familiar with around me, the two entities I never, never lost is my family and my faith. And so, yes, I relied greatly then and even more so now on my faith, on my prayer, meditation, going to church, reading daily devotionals, writing. And so, yeah, the Lord is with me all the time. Right. Because I could never have survived. I couldn't have survived even who I was at in my teens, 20s, 30s, and 40s. I put myself through a lot throughout my entire life. And I would never have been able to continue and do what I've been able to do without my faith. That's awesome. Yeah. So do you think coming from a family of 12 kids, do you think that played part of preparing you for this role in a way? I don't know if you were one of the older ones or one of the younger ones. I'm one of 12. Right. There's six boys and six girls, and I am the eighth. Okay. Wow. So I'm on the kind of lower end. And what I would say is my family's my rock. They certainly prepared me for corporate because my father ran our household almost like a corporate organization. You about had to. <laughs> Roles and functions and whatnot. And then I was in corporate. So it, and it definitely prepared me for even the male female dynamic, the six boys, six girls, and us having to stand up for ourselves. And so gender isn't an issue for me. I can walk into any banquet hall and it could be all men. And I'm like, bring it on. It's just never been an issue for me. And so, yes, they definitely prepared me for all that. They certainly 
did not like, though they respected and gave me my space, how I transformed in my 20s, 30s, and 40s. And then they certainly have embraced and just loved all over me over the last, you know, 14 years, knowing that I wanted to change and I was working to change. And one of my, one of the best exercises that I did for myself, and I would propose anyone else to do for themselves, is I was talking about the fact that I was doing a lot of writing, but I was also talking to people and asking them questions. Right. I took my five sisters out and my mother for cocktails. But the objective of the cocktails was to get them a little loopy, but also get them to give me one word responses to a bunch of questions. But the one main question was, how would you describe me in one word? And don't stop until you're absolutely exhausted by coming up with all the good, the bad, the ugly descriptions of me. Oh, wow. That's a brave question to ask. Like I said, there was a lot of martinis. (laughs) There was a lot of martinis involved. And yet that was back in 2010 or 11. And I still have the papers. Oh, wow. And it was two pages of good, bad, and the ugly. They took advantage of the permission to lay it all out there. And they did. But yet that was the most profound part of my shedding process or the excavation of my soul because I trusted them. They were my confidants. Right. And they weren't looking to hurt me. They weren't looking to hate on me. They also weren't looking to coddle me. I know they didn't intend to hurt you and you knew that, but did it hurt a little bit seeing some of the things they wrote down? Sure. It hurt me that I hurt them in such a way that they had to describe me like that. Wow. So again, I was really ready to take ownership and responsibility for who I was at the time. And I asked them for patience and grace as I was working my way toward who I wanted to be. That's wonderful. So yes, it hurt. Right. Did it fuel your transition in a way too? It it did because I thought to myself, if I did this to my 12 brothers and sisters and my mother was there, my father was already passed. And of course, My mother didn't want to say a bad word about me. My mother was the most genteel, graceful woman in the world. But I asked her, I pleaded with her to give it to me straight. And she did. And she said, but we always knew you would find your way. And so, yes, it made me more determined because of the idea that I could have been a person that would have created those not so pretty uh, feelings toward me. So that corporate personality you had at the time back then. Did you think up until that point that you left her at work and you were the old you at home? And then when you had that, you realized you had been bringing her with you, right? So to speak. Yes. Wow. Absolutely. Yes. I mean, you can only, you can wear a mask. I always relate to Halloween. You could wear a mask for one night and put it aside and, and never go back to it again. However, if you put on that mask day after day after day after day after day after day, even though it's not 24 hours a day, for instance, there's going to be, it's like an actor who takes on a role and some of them do it in such a way that they live in, you know, that that they have that person in them for a long time afterwards and they have a hard time shaking that character. Right. It's very much like that. Wow. Yeah. That would be a huge transformational moment, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't happen immediately, but at the same time, I have a funny story. I would say two years, maybe two and a half years after I was going through this process, I ran into a couple of employees as I was running around in a local park and I stopped and I'm all sweaty and I'm with my dog and I'm all sweaty. I look nasty. 
but I saw the two of them like checking me out. It was two women and they were like checking me out, like looking me up and down and whatever. And they're like, can we ask you something? And I was like, sure. And they're like, have you had work done? And I just, and then I knew what they were talking about and I was bawling my eyes out inside. But I was like, what do you mean? What do you mean? And they're like, well, you look like 10, 15 years younger. Oh, wow. And I said to them, I said, well, that's what happens when you shed your bitch. (laughs) And so I had just finished my manuscript and sent it off to the publisher. And I ran home and I picked up the phone and I was like, look, I need to write one more chapter and then I'll send it off to you and just insert it as the very last chapter of the book. And they said, oh, okay. And it's called The Facelift. (laughs) And it's that story. That's pretty amazing. Because it showed just what and how we wear our ugliness and our insecurities and our fears and our negativities. It just shows how once you shed those things and let them go, you could take years off your face. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. Yeah. And I'm sure if it would have continued, it would have affected your health at some point if you were that miserable. Oh, it had already. I mean, it had already. I had high blood pressure, which is a majority genetic, but at the same time, I was fluctuating in weight all the time because I was eating and drinking my junk, my bitches, as I call them. And so, yeah, it definitely would have ultimately led to a greater incident of health issue than I had already had. But yeah, and both my parents had major heart issues. So that was always something on the back of my mind. But at the same time, I was like, oh, I'm vibrant. I'm young. I'm strong. That'll never happen to me. And yeah. Yeah. Now it's a whole different story. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. You got to take care of yourself. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So of all the things you do today, and it's a huge variety, like we talked about, is there one thing that truly lights you up more than the rest? Or do they all ignite passions in different areas? Or what is that like? Well, that's a great question because right now I'm like, (laughs) I would say, yeah, they all light me up in a certain way because there's periods that I'll be like, okay, so my client workload is low. I'm going to keep it there so I can work on my scripts. And then I've had my podcast for 12 years, long before it was podcasting. Oh, wow. And I love doing that. I just love talking to people and sharing and learning about them and whatnot. But yeah, and then my coaching work, I would have to say the aha moments I'm able to, or I eventually kind of walk my clients to in their own life, where they're all of a sudden they're like, oh, now I get it. Oh my gosh. Okay, I need to change. And okay, what do we do? And how are we going to go about doing that? Or And it could be work-related. It could be personal related could be a combination. Majority of the time it's a combination because I don't do necessarily a lot of life coaching. It's more executive coaching slash business. There is nothing better from hiring managers and HR leaders. I happen to attract those that are high potential emerging seasoned executives who are just struggling to be a really effective leader. And so there's nothing better for me than to see their transformation to where they are struggling personally and professionally. And then all of a sudden they're at a point where they're like being celebrated by their team or in the business as a whole. It's just such a great feeling to do that. I bet. So are you, do you still learn from them, from your clients? All the time, all the time, especially I learn 
about how I can be better serving them. I pretty much get and understand all the different scenarios they throw at me. So I'm rarely surprised by a situation that someone might be dealing with. Because remember, I think I attract these type of clients because I was that person. Okay. Now, I haven't found one to the extreme that I was <laughs> to where they're fired. But at the same time, I know what they're going through. I've been there. I might have created it, the situation that they're struggling with. And so I'm really comfortable there because I'm so determined to not allow someone to go down the path that I went down and to get quickly out of it before it does alter their entire path and goals that they had for themselves. Did you ever find out if that's why you were fired? If I can ask, is it because of that personality? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yes. And I had to come to Jesus with my mentor several years later. I think it was like three or four years later. But yes, it was definitely because of her. I mean, I my whole switch was I was at the dog park on another run on a different day or much earlier, like a year and a half earlier than the one with the facelift. And I, I had been for about a year, year and a half kind of running through events and encounters and experiences in my life to understand what got me to that parking lot, like what caused me to be fired. And so I was like, almost like a constant film running. And as I'm jogging through the parking lot, all of a sudden she shows up. Oh, wow. She just smacks me in the face to where I literally physically fell to the ground. Wow. In a pool of tears that was just filled with shame and disgust and humiliation and embarrassment and pain, if I said that already. And Charlie, my very tall Labradoodle, was standing over me going, what's going on, mom? People were passing going, what the heck's going on with this woman who's bawling her eyes out on the ground in the middle of a park? And so I actually discovered it first that, oh my God, I was such a nasty person. No results, no accolades, no awards will ever replace whether or not you're a good, kind, effective leader. It just won't happen. Sooner or later, it'll catch up to you. And you can think that, oh, you're a major contributor. You bring in millions and millions of dollars. You get every whatever of the year award. And you would think that's going to protect you. And I'm here to tell you, it's not. Wow. The only thing that's going to protect you is you being a very effective leader, focusing 80% of your time on your mindset, not your skill set. So you physically ran into her. Is that what you're saying? No, I saw myself. Oh, okay. You just envisioned it. Okay. Yeah. I saw all of a sudden that I was this nasty individual, this nasty woman that was so curt and demeaning and abrasive and aggressive. Demanding's even too nice because it's not bad to be demanding of your people if it's done in a way to inspire and incent them versus beat them down. But yeah, I just all of a sudden saw her clear as day in front of me. And I thought, oh, that is not who I want to be. I'm sure you went down the path of self-forgiveness. I did. And that actually, that was probably the longest forgiveness for so many layers. It was easy to forgive the top layer, kind of like, okay, so I was nasty. But then when I started looking at all the different people and situations and events where I was nasty, when I wrote my book and I started marketing it online, 
I all of a sudden got, and I forget where I was marketing it to where I was getting a lot of people paying attention. And this was before it was even published. Wow. And the next thing you know, I had this visceral comment come back at me. I mean, that just absolutely ripped me to pieces. Like, don't believe a single word that this woman has to say. She's the meanest, cruelest, self-centered, arrogant. I mean, just went on and just piled it on. And and I knew I was changing because I kind of laughed at it. I looked at it and I said, okay, so that's not me anymore. Right. But then I went from laughter to absolute pain and shame because I all of a sudden realized, do you get how hurt this person is? Do you get how much pain is in her words? And I kind of knew who it was from just what was being said. And that ripped me apart because then I realized, gosh, yes, it's funny. You can laugh at it simply because you're not that woman anymore. But this person doesn't know it. And this person actually is never going to believe it unless you prove it over and over and over again that you've changed and that it's not just a one-off. And it just pained me. It just absolutely pained me. And so that on top of my brothers and sisters, or at least my sisters, yeah, definitely caused me to ensure that that never happens again. Wow. I can see that. That would be huge. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever get to see this person or communicate to them after that? No. Okay. They're not in the country. Okay. That's all I'll say. Okay. I was just curious. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, I I would love to, but no. So since you brought up your book, when you wrote your first book, what was that like? I loved the process. I absolutely loved the whole process because I like puzzles. So I liked piecing together, like figuring out what stories I wanted to tell, why I wanted to tell them, what value it was going to bring to the reader. And then you take this mess of a thing and piece it all together. But I also did have an editor from the very beginning when I started writing. I had an editor going along with me. And there was one point in my story, because it's more of a memoir slash very little bit of a tips and advice type of book. Um, Because what I really wanted to do was I wanted to just share my story to let people know as to what were my fears and insecurities and whatnot that caused me to become this person. And so long story short, Nicole, she calls me up and she says, I need to see you. I haven't been getting any pages from you. I said, yes, you have. She goes, no, I haven't gotten any pages from you in four weeks. She's like, meet me at the restaurant down the end of your street. But sometime I said, oh, okay. So I do. And I sit down. She's like, okay, so what's going on? Nothing's going on. She's like, yes, there is. You haven't sent me any pages in four weeks. So what's happening? And I realized that there was a section of my story that I really didn't want to share. Oh, wow. Because it was going to hurt me writing it and seeing it on paper, let alone for people to read it. And so after probably we sat there for like two hours and she said, isn't the reason you're writing this book is to help other people and you have to rip off the bandaid in order to do that? And I said, yes. She's like, then you have to write it, period. And I said, okay. So I got back to work and wrote it, but I love the whole writing process. And then when I decided to turn it into a screenplay, that was a whole other adventure and experience that I actually loved, but I cried a lot. (laughs) Oh, wow. 
I was going to just ask, was it as painful as you thought it was going to be when you did sit down to write that part of it? No, the book was easy other than that one part. Well, that's what I'm saying. That one part was what I was asking about. Was it as bad as you thought it was going to be? Oh, oh, oh. No, it wasn't as bad at all as I made it up to be in my head. Right. That's what I was thinking. A lot of times our fear is worse than the reality. You're right. You're right. Yes. It wasn't as scary and hurtful as I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Good. But the screenplay, is that what you were going to say? It was different? (laughs) Is that because you're reliving it in a way with the screenplay? No, more so because... Well, screenplays and books, if anybody's a big reader and they're always disappointed in the screenplay, give me a call. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why you're disappointed. (laughs) Because you can't take 300 pages plus and put it into 40 and expect to get all the pieces and all the juiciness and everything that you want to tell. So there was a lot of personal going into that more so, and it is visual more so than the book's visual. And I went out to LA to meet with a large group of people or a table group of people that would judge my screenplay. Oh, wow. And I had to read it. So I had to read through it. And I get to the part where my father's passing. Oh, wow. And he passed in hospice at home. And in the three days I was out there, I must have read it like, I don't know, 10 or 11 times. And every time I just cry my eyes out when we got to that section about my father. And the major feedback from the three days was until you can get through that piece, it's not going to be presentable, so to speak. It won't be pitchable because you you need to be able to take the personal out of it and tell that story. And then plus you have to change a lot. Like I can't reflect that I have 11 brothers and sisters in a screenplay because they're not going to pay 11 actors and actresses and there's not enough roles and words. And so it was a whole different writing experience and, you know, storytelling experience. Part of it in some aspects hard, but today it's a piece of cake. Oh, wow. Today I can look at it and not feel the hurt and the pain. Okay. Yeah. I'm a very emotional person by nature and I can't imagine being able to, I mean, that takes a lot of bravery or self-discipline maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when I first started my podcast and I started it to promote the book while I was writing it. So I even started it a year earlier than when the book came out. I cried all the time. I was like, every time I told some part of my story or tried to give tips and advice on something, I'd be crying. But I guess over time, I recognize that I'm doing this to help others. Absolutely. Yeah. And therefore to do that, I need to be able to get it across. (laughs) without crying my eyes out. Oh, I understand a hundred percent. It's just the knowing and the doing are different things, but it could just be repetition. It is. It's true. But nowadays, even here, if I were to start crying, I'd be totally okay with it. Exactly. I'd be like, I'm human. Who's ever listening or watching is human. So I would just hope that I'm not bawling to where I can't control it. Like my cough earlier. <laughs> <laughs> Or where the words can't come out anymore. (laughs) Exactly. 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 Yeah. So is there anything that we haven't talked about today that you would want to make sure that the listeners knew about you or? No, I mean, you cover a lot of ground. (laughs) No, I would just say and echo back the comment about 
I'll speak to the listeners. You do only have one life to live. It does go really, really fast. So make a commitment to yourself, an investment in yourself to spend time each and every day learning who you are and who you truly want to be and just go for it no matter what. Because at the end of the day, it's only you that matters. And if you're not fulfilled, other people around you won't get the full you. And so you're not only shorting yourself, but you're shorting everyone else that you love around you. So just 80-20, spend 80% of your time really focusing on you and the skills and the talent and experience and expertise will take care of itself. That's excellent advice. Yeah. Well, and I want to add to that because I just recalled this. I'll never forget, and I know it from my own entrepreneurial experiences too, though, is You'll hear on Shark Tank or from some major investor or business leader or entertainment, whatever, is that they don't invest in the things or the skills or the talents or the expertise that you have. They invest in the person you are. And so if you're sitting there doubting whether or not you're talented enough, skilled enough, experienced enough, expert enough, you can totally trump all of that by being the best you, because they're going to be wanting to invest in you. All those other things, the skills and talents and experiences, they can be trained and coached up. So take care of you. That's excellent. Thank you. You're welcome. So if people want to connect to you, and we'll definitely put links and everything in the show notes, what's the best way for them to connect to you? Uh, they can go to my website at ballofirecoaching.com. Okay. Of course, I'm on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> you can either Google Ball of Fire or Google Bernadette Bose and you will find me. And yeah, those are probably the best places to locate me. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I greatly appreciate you having me. Well, thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. As we wrap up today's episode, I hope Bernadette sharing her journey has helped you in some way. With Bernadette sharing her experiences and her wisdom, a few things really stood out to me. First of all, sometimes when an event occurs, you may feel like it's the worst thing that could have possibly ever happened in your life. But if you're open to change and whatever life has to bring, it may lead to great things far beyond anything your imagination could ever come up with. Bernadette could have easily given up and gone down a different path in her life. However, she chose to embrace the change and faced her own flaws and insecurities to make herself stronger in many ways, but yet a gentler person, and she grew into this corporate powerhouse that she is today. Secondly, I've often wondered about the role stress and negativity play in our health, and to be honest, I think it's a big role. However, I had never really thought about negativity and aggression playing a role in one's physical appearance. And when Bernadette shed her aggression, you know, she mentions the story where two former employees actually thought she had had a facelift because all of that tension and anger and negativity left her face. The change was that noticeable. It's pretty amazing. So that's another reason that we need to give up negativity, folks. Anyway, as always, I hope this episode helps at least one person. And with that, I hope you have a blessed week, my friend. Thank you for listening to The Beauty and the Mess. 
If you enjoyed what you heard, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on your favorite pod player. If you have any questions or comments, any topic ideas you would like to hear about, or you think you would be a great guest on the show, you can reach me directly at thebeautyinthemess.com. Thanks for listening.